your Bibles to the book of Psalms, the prayer book of the Christian, Psalm 122. Psalm 122, a song of ascents of David. This last week and the week before that, in the midst of the busyness of saying goodbye to Annie Lane, watching her finish the work that God had for here on earth, and death is hard work. And she worked hard, and she has now received her reward in heaven. I thought a lot about New Year's resolutions and what kind of New Year's resolutions we ought to have. So I started a blog post on it. I never finished it. One of the things that caused me to think about this was that somebody from our church came to me recently and said that one of the things he had appreciated in a church he used to go to out in the West was that they had a great emphasis on reading the Bible. And he said that he felt that at our church we don't have enough of an emphasis on reading the Bible and that we ought to emphasize it more. So the pastors, uh, we were talking about this, and we we thought, well, maybe what we ought to do is we ought to buy one-year Bibles, you know, those Bibles that are broken up so that there's 365 portions, and each, each portion gives you a little bit of the parts of the Bible that you don't like and a little bit that you do like, you know? So, like, it's not just Leviticus, um, but you get a little bit of Old Testament, a little bit of New Testament, a little bit of Psalms, and a little bit of Proverbs. And I think, if I remember correctly, you go through Psalms and Proverbs twice over the course of the year and everything else once. So <clears throat> Dave Carell was saying, well, we can order one-year Bibles for everybody, and we can have them available, and it'll be a, a week late, but that's okay. Um, people will be able to use them. And, uh, <clears throat> well, you know, we didn't do it. Um, partly slothfulness, uh, partly money. Um, but we can do it. So if you would like a one-year Bible, you'd like a store of one for you, I don't know who you should talk to, but talk to somebody. <laughs> Maybe uh, Linda, can they talk to you? So you'll buy them, right? <laughs> you'll keep track of it. Okay, and she'll order it. So would you stand? Oh, you'll give me the order. Okay, she'll take the name. So stand up so everybody knows who you are. Would you please? Sorry. She doesn't like to do this, but this is Linda. And Linda will serve you by taking your order. And we will order uh, English standard, is that ESVs, English standard versions, because there's no NASB. But that's a good version of Scripture, and you can all read the ESV through the Bible a year, and that's a Bible that you keep where you read for personal devotions. Now, do I believe in reading the Bible? Come on. I do believe in reading the Bible, yes. Yes, that's a Um, no-brainer. So that would be a good New Year's resolution, right? That we're going to read through the Bible in a year, right? That would be very good. Tim Wagner would be very happy, wouldn't you, Tim? Amen. All right. Now, reading through the Bible in a year is a good thing to fail doing, trying, all right? Because that's what life is, is it's failing at the right things. That's my definition of life, all right? I want to write a book about my dad as a father, wonderful father, and the title of the book will be He Failed Gloriously. And that's the best compliment I could give my father. All right? No insult to dad intended. You know that. Now, if it's not reading the Bible, what else would we do as a New Year's resolution? Yeah, that's right. Pray. You read the Bible, and then you pray, right? Those should be our commitments as lovers of Jesus Christ. Or... Put them together and you have what? You have family devotions. Or no, you have personal devotions. Thank you. Dear brother. Now, step out of New Year's resolutions for a second. As you and I would approach them as members of Church of the Good Shepherd or visitors or friends of this church, 
and think of them as Americans, just, just a normal American. What would be your New Year's resolution as an American? <clears throat> Number one, and I mean this is very important, all right? You're going to quit smoking this year, finally. Because the whole world wants you to quit smoking, right? Nobody will disagree with that. Yeah, there are a bunch of gnarly Presbyterians. They have a publication called the Nicotine Theological Journal. But Presbyterians are absolutely wacko, you know. And other than Daryl Hart, everybody wants you to commit... Excuse me. (laughs) Quit smoking. All right. So quitting smoking would be an all-American, apple pie, motherhood, stars and stripes forever thing to do, right? We all know that, right? Okay. So if you don't smoke, what are you going to do if you're an American? Huh? Yes. That's my number two. Lose weight. Quit smoking. Lose weight. Because, again, everybody in America wants you to be thin. Because fat kills you. Right? So we'll quit smoking and we'll lose weight. All right? What else does America want you to do? Huh? Wear a seatbelt. But really, we've moved beyond that to using booster seats. Right? Wear a seatbelt. Put your children in an infant seat. Put them in a booster seat. All of America wants you to quit smoking, lose weight, and use seatbelts. Right? Any other New Year's resolutions for Americans? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the latest resolution. We're all at Walmart because Walmart has made this national contract for fluorescent lights. All right. They're getting brighter. They're getting brighter more quickly and they're getting cheaper. And so all of us can do our part for the carbon emissions by going to Walmart and buying fluorescent lights to replace our incandescent lights. We're going to go green. So we quit smoking, we lose weight, we use seat belts, and we buy fluorescent lights and replace our incandescent lights. Now, is this a fulfilled life? Okay, so we'll do some of them because they're just... They're good things to do, right? Okay? I mean, you know, I'm on a mission to replace my incandescent light bulbs. I can tell you a lot about fluorescent replacement lights, you know? All right? And I sometimes use my seatbelt if I think there might be a cop at the corner looking at them. (laughs) And that's very bad. And I know that. So let's be Christians, and let's go back to Christian New Year's resolutions. Our resolutions as Christians are what? Go ahead. They're what? Read the Bible. The words inside are true and reliable. All right? And we pray. In other words, we have personal devotions. Now, if I were to tell you that that's not probably the very apex of biblical Christianity that there's something else, and challenge you to think of a New Year's resolution that's something else, what would you come up with? Now, I'm not against reading the Bible and having personal devotions and prayer, obviously, but if I were to tell you there is something else in Scripture, what the person in the first worship service said is that the something else is what? It's family devotions. Now, here's what I want you to realize. I want you to realize that while you sit there thinking that you are a frontier man out at the edge of civilization, taking the wilderness captive for civilization, cutting down the first virgin growth trees, plowing the land for the first time, making it civilized, while your wife is bringing tea and crumpets to the frontier, all right, and giving birth to children who will themselves clear land, while all of us think we're Clint Eastwood, 
While all of us think that we're autonomous, that we're individualists, that we are self-determined, that we are independent, while all of us think we're Americans, right? We don't go any way because somebody tells us to until we've decided ourselves what way we're going to go. We're absolutely, completely predictable and do exactly what everybody else thinks we should do. We suck it in from the television, from the newspapers, from the media. We suck it in from evangelical conferences, and we're absolutely, every one of us, just like everybody else. Even in our angst, we have group angst that's just like everybody else's angst. In other words, if we think that we're weird because actually I get depressed about more sophisticated things than this idiot sitting next to me, Even our depressions are exactly predictable. Even if we think that we're goth, we're goth just like all our goth friends. If we think we're emo, we're emo just like all our emo friends. If we think we're an intellectual, we're an intellectual just like all the other intellectuals. If we think we're a preacher, we're a preacher just like every other preacher. In other words, we're all predictable. And so... If we're Christians and we look down our noses at people that stop smoking and lose weight and use car seats and use fluorescent light bulbs, then we're predictable as evangelical Christians in saying, okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to read the Bible and we're going to pray every day and have personal devotions. And then if I say to you, but there's something else, we'll be very predictable in moving into the higher level of spiritual growth, which is family values evangelical Christianity. We're not like the Willow dudes. You know, we understand that manhood and womanhood is important. We understand that fidelity in marriage is important. We believe in having children. We are family values Christians. And so we believe in family devotions, not just personal devotions. We believe in the family altar. We believe in homeschooling. Do you see? And so what you do is you move from the big group to the smaller group to the really small group. You see? And that really small group is really intense about their New Year's resolutions. You see? But they're predictable. It's just all like um, stockyard mentality. Oh, I'm in a church, so I shouldn't talk necessarily about smoking and drinking, but rather about prayer and Bible reading. Oh, I'm in a Reformed church. I should talk about God's providence and sovereignty as I read my Bible and pray. Oh, I'm in a family values Reformed church, so I should talk about homeschooling, and I should have a commitment to having lots of children. So if I tell you that the ultimate expression of Christian faith and New Year's resolutions, biblically, is not family devotions... What on earth am I going to come up with? (laughs) Guess what I'm thinking. (laughs) Well, if any of you did bother opening your Bibles to our text, you might have a clue. I'll bet that not one of you, not one of you has made a resolution this year that you will love the church of Jesus Christ. But I want to tell you that that's more important than personal devotions. I'm absolutely deadly serious. It is more important that you love the bride of Christ than that you have Bible reading and prayer alone or with your family. It's more important than any of the things we've talked about. It is the best predictor of where you and your children will be in 40 years is your love or your ambivalence or your hatred for the church of Jesus Christ. Now, I can say that biblically, but I'm going to start by saying it personally. I'm 54, just had a birthday. Absolutely nothing is as good a predictor of the future of Christians as their commitment to the church of Jesus Christ. Nothing. And people who spend their lives being critical of the church and hating it 
and blaming the church for their bitterness and for the condition of their home are people whose children will be in a shambles in 20 years, whose marriage will be joyless, and who will themselves spend their lives blaming everybody else for the sin that has consumed them, their marriage, and their families. And they have nobody to blame but themselves. It's not the church's fault. Now, if you listen to them, they'll tell you it is the church's fault. They'll tell you all the ways the church has failed them. Have you ever heard of anybody who's under discipline of a church who doesn't have a ream of reasons how that church has failed them and why everything is that church's fault? And do you think this is new? Do you think the Apostle Paul didn't deal with this when he was writing to the various churches in the New Testament? How do you think the churches at the beginning of Revelation felt when Jesus wrote them? How do you think the church of Laodicea received the message from Jesus Christ? The church at Ephesus. Goody, a letter from Jesus. You're neither hot nor cold, so I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Well, Jesus, the church we're at doesn't have good music, and we we think that the band is too loud. And you know, the pastor is... is, um, How do I put this tactfully? The pastor is... He's arrogant and loud. He's, he's, He's like... Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, you know, he's not Midwest. And, you know, I'm not against being corrected, but I'd like to be corrected with love. And, you know, I just don't feel love when somebody tells me I'm neither hot nor cold, and so I'm gonna, he's going to spit me out of his mouth. I mean, that's not upbuilding. That's not encouraging. It's not compassionate. It's not really Christ-like. <laughs> Now, the irony is that, of course, is exactly what Jesus said to the church. But we would have the audacity to say to Jesus that he's not being quite like Jesus in the way he's treating the church. And so I'm going to go back and say it again. The best predictor. And if you want me to, let's forget about you for a second. Let's talk about your children. The best predictor of the future contentment and happiness and godliness and holiness of your children is what they see in you concerning the church of Jesus Christ. Your love for it and your commitment to it. That's the best predictor. If I want to take your temperature spiritually, I won't ask you about your daily devotions. Yeah, I do do that. I'm lying. But what I'll really watch is I'll watch whether or not you love the body of Christ. And that doesn't mean these walls. doesn't mean I go to the giving records of the church to see if the money you love is given to the God you love. Although sometimes I do that. What it does mean is that I'll watch your relationships with other people in the church, the bride of Christ. And if you love them, it'll be obvious. Because love covers a multitude of sins. But if you're the kind that's always complaining about them, you know what? It'll be clear to me that you don't know God. And how can I say that? Well, I'm just speaking biblically. You remember what First John says? If you claim to love God but hate your brothers, the truth is not in you. How can you love God and hate your brothers? You haven't seen God, but you've seen your brothers. If a man says that he loves God but hates his brother, he's a liar. So if you don't have love for your brothers and sisters in Christ, and what you do is walk around being an accuser of the brethren, do you understand that? going around saying how this person did this to you, and this person failed your children in this way, and the pastor's an idiot, and the music is too loud, and the preaching of the Word isn't really biblical. Guess what? You don't know God. You don't know God. You don't belong to God. You don't love God. 
Because the man who loves God loves his brothers. And if you don't love your brothers, this isn't the church for you. Because it will out here. Now, there are lots of churches you can go, and if you don't love your brothers, it will never be obvious. And if you want to know what churches that come to me afterwards, I'll tell you. But actually, I don't have to tell you. You already know. There are many churches where there is no expectation for you to know and love your brothers. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is not rocket science. All right? There are many churches intentionally set up in such a way that it will never be obvious whether you love your brothers. That's the goal. That's the intention. The marketing plan included that, and they're doing a good job of fulfilling the marketing plan. They have designed a church for anonymity, for lack of intimacy, for lack of rubbing shoulders against other believers, for lack of forgiveness, for lack of grace, for lack of repentance. The church is designed to be a very sterile, safe Christian thing. All right. And you go to those churches and you won't be confronted with a sermon like this and you won't be furious at the preacher. And you will never hear somebody say that it's more important that you love the church than that you have personal devotions. Because that goes entirely against the apparatus of marketing of the evangelical world. You don't sell devotional Bibles saying that. What you sell is the church. But the church doesn't make money for businesses. You say, oh, yeah, Pastor, but it makes money for you. And I say, listen, a lot of you, anytime you want to trade your salary for the average salary of the three pastors here, you just let us know. I get more, which is why I said the average. (laughs) And if you come to the business meeting, we always put out there exactly what we get paid. Okay? The church is not my business that I get paid by. And if you ever think that that's what it is, I'll start cleaning again because I miss it. Because when you get done cleaning, you can look at the window, you can look at the floor, and you can say, I did it, and it's good work. And you never get to say that about the pastor. Do you understand that? So... Forget the perverse thoughts you're having. The truth is the church is not a business. It is not an entrepreneurial affair. It is not a place to come up with a marketing plan. The church is the bride of Christ. And Christ died for the church. And if you're here today and you're a faithful believer in Jesus Christ, then you are privileged to be a part of the bride that he died for. You are not the bride. The church is the bride. The church is the one that he has set his affection on. The church is the one that will be sitting at the marriage feast of the Lamb. And if you have not learned to love other people here in this world who claim the name of Jesus Christ, you won't like the marriage feast of the Lamb. You won't want to be at the table. You won't want to eat the food. And you may have given thousands of dollars to Tyndale House Publishers to buy their devotional works. And you might have gone to every R.C. Sproul conference that's ever been held. But you'll hate the marriage feast of the Lamb because sitting next to you will be flesh and blood that Jesus died for. And you'll never have learned to have love cover a multitude of your brother's sins. And you'll never have learned to let your preferences be subordinate to the preferences of the person sitting next to you. You won't have learned to consider others better than yourself. You won't have learned to not let the root of bitterness corrupt many. You'll have spent your life being an American. You will have quit smoking and have lost weight. You'll use booster seats. You'll use fluorescent lights. You'll have personal devotions. You'll have family devotions. You will have lots of children and write blog posts about submitting to your husband. And you won't know 
the church and love the church, you won't have any priority for the bride of Christ. In fact, you'll go around the country holding conferences talking about how the church isn't family friendly. Really? The church isn't family friendly? I thought the church was the household of faith. Oh, no, it's not family friendly. Do you get it? And so what does the church become? It becomes one more place that sells family values and acts as if that has anything at all to do with Jesus Christ. So is Christian faith just family values? A song of ascents of David. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. So were you glad this morning? No, come on, be honest. The church should be the one place we don't lie. <laughs> Here's a thought. Let's have the church be the one place where we're honest. Did you anticipate and look forward to and celebrate and party and boogie and like have heart palpitations over coming to church this morning? Come on, be honest now. Come on. No. How many did? Come on. Some of you did. Raise your hands. You can look good. Yeah, Lizzie did. Michael did. Generally, women are holy. <laughs> you know? Daughter, daughter, wife, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and how many of you didn't? So you're all very comfortable with raising your hand saying you didn't. How many of you not only look forward yourself, but how many of you with exuberance lifted up the phone and said to someone else, let us go to the house of the Lord? How many of you did that? You did it. Yeah, but you did it, yeah? My wife did it this morning. My mother didn't want to come. Now listen to me. Listen to me. And so what did my wife do? Let us go to the house of the Lord. And then in worship, she stood next to my weak mother and she lifted her hands. What was she doing when she lifted her hands? She was saying, let us go to the house of the Lord. And then Curtis and Don and all them dudes came up and sang. And what were they doing? They were saying, let us go to the house of the Lord. And what about the band when they were playing? What were they doing? They were saying, let us go to the house of the Lord. You know something? You read Spurgeon on this text. You know what Spurgeon says? Spurgeon says there are many people that need us to say to them, let us go to the house of the Lord. You know, that ever since my dad died, my mother has had difficulty going to church. Now, did you understand that? you understand how going to worship week in, week out with your other half creates an expectation of a time of joy with your husband? And when he dies, do you think going to worship has the same joy? Do you think maybe it would be a time of reminding you of the great tragedy of your life that your husband is gone? And so my mother needs my wife. And isn't that how God designs us? There are times in our life where we don't want to go to the house of the Lord. Think of disciplining a child, right? It's right before dinner time. The mother's asked the son to set the table. The son goes in, and he's on the computer reading the stats from the latest wild card football team, right? The mother says, I told you to set the table. The son keeps reading, and finally the father realizes the day has come. You know, he's heard subliminally, way in the background, this kind of thing going on for a long time. And he decides, you know, this is the moment that I have been made for. So he takes that son and he goes into the bedroom and maybe he uses his hand, maybe he uses a rod, maybe he uses a belt, and he spanks the son. And then the mother says, it's dinner time. Now, you've just been spanked. Do you want to go eat dinner with your family? No. You want to hide and cower in the bedroom, don't you? And so the father does what? The father puts his arms around the son and says, Son, just because you need discipline doesn't mean I don't love you. 
let us go down to dinner because the discipline's over and we don't remember it anymore. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Very, very intimate picture of the people of God here. It's called a song of ascents. It was what was sung as the people of God went up to Jerusalem. So when they went to church, because Jerusalem was where they did church, it's where they had corporate worship. As they went, this is what they sang. And can't you hear all of them together singing, I was glad when they said unto me, we will go to the house of the Lord, you know, or it's a rock band or it's a harp. I don't know what instruments. I don't know how loud it was, but however loud it was, it was so loud that everybody knew their hearts were totally caught up in going to Jerusalem. So again, this morning, were you weak? Did you not want to come? Had you been disciplined by the elders, and did you resent them, and did your wife have to say to you, let us go to the house of the Lord? Maybe it was that last week somebody overlooked you in, in, in asking people over for dinner, and did somebody need to say to you, let us go to the house of the Lord? Do you know somebody who's bitter here? Do you need to say to them, let us go to the house of the Lord? We are sheep with many, many failures. And so we need to say to each other, let us go to the house of the Lord. So here's my New Year's resolution for you. This year, fall in love with the church of Jesus Christ, the bride of Christ. And every week, set up your entire week so that when the Lord's Day comes and we gather as the saints, the bride of Christ, you're ready. You went to bed at the right time. You had the clothes ready. The car wasn't on empty. You didn't have a football game that was a higher priority or a soccer game. The house of the Lord had your priorities. And when you feel tempted to be the accuser of the brethren, going around spreading discord, shut your mouth. I once said that in an elders meeting to somebody and they left the church because the pastor said, shut your mouth. And that person was sitting, listening to a rebuke from elders, not from me, from the elders, and she never shut her mouth. She argued and attacked them, the full board of elders, as she sat there. So finally, after half an hour of that, I looked at her and I said, shut your mouth! And she left because the pastor shouldn't talk like that. (laughs) Well, maybe I shouldn't. But I don't have any hesitation in saying to you, if you're the accuser of the brethren, shut your mouth. Just shut it, you know, zip it, because this is the bride of Christ. Now, I'm not saying don't come to me and tell me that I shouldn't use certain words in the pulpit. I'm not saying don't go to one of the elders and tell the elder that his son is a hellion and he should discipline him. I'm not saying don't go to Cindy Sparks and tell her that, you know, the butter's rancid. It would never happen. In other words, I'm not trying to cut down on the normal um, discipline and, and personal rebukes and exhortations that we all need. But you know the difference between the normal housekeeping of a household and bitterness and accusation and resentment and every vile thing. And you know that stuff is not of God. You should not be the one who is walking around accusing the bride of Jesus Christ of being dirty because God already knows it. And He loves the church. And how can you simply accuse it and hate it and resent it and be bitter against it when Christ died for the bride? How can you do this? How can you not love the one that Christ died for? We've had a recurring theme in the elders' meetings over the last six months. And each time, it comes to this. Tim Wagner on one side and one of us on the other. But Tim's the representative of this side. 
Here are people who say, well, you know, maybe we should say this to them. And, you know, that that's wrong. Maybe we should correct that in them. And, and, and Tim is over here, and Tim is saying, we have people in this church who love Christ, who love the church, who are growing, who are crying out for our encouragement. Why are we wasting time on people who have nothing to do but complain? And we say, oh, remember that the Bible says that the good shepherd goes out for that one lost sheep. And Tim Wagner says, we've been done doing that for years now. You know, the lost sheep don't want to be found, dudes. Now, he doesn't talk like that, but that's basically accurate, isn't it? Yeah. So guess what? This is the year of people that love the church. Not that love Tim Bailey. Forget that. My wife does it, and it's hard work, so... You can all just let her do it. (laughs) But what about loving the church? Do you love the church? Do you love the people sitting in the pews next to you? Do you love the preaching of the word? Do you love the Lord's table? Do you love repentance? Do you love discipline and correction by our elders? Hey, they're excellent dudes. Stand up, elders. Come on, right now, stand. Come on, stand up. Now look at these guys. Look at them. Say, whoop, 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 whoop. What's there not to love? All right, okay, okay. Do you know that the elders actually look forward to elders' meetings? Do you know any other church where that's the case? You may, but it's unlikely. Listen, people, do you know, I I quote this quote to you, and it says that no man is a hypocrite in his pleasures. Is your pleasure the church of Jesus Christ? No man's a hypocrite in his pleasures. In other words, what we love comes out, and our children know it. Because children read us like a book. All right? And so here's my question for you. What are your pleasures? Is the house of God your pleasure? Do you say to people, let us go to the house of the Lord? Is that what you say? About a week ago or half a week ago or sometime in the last two weeks, I went to an IU basketball game. It's clear what their pleasures are. As a matter of fact, they have songs of ascent. And the songs of ascent are the IU song. And they have flags, they fly outside their windows when they're on pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And they have a temple. They have cult prostitutes. They have gods and demigods. They have a pantheon of gods. They have an order of worship. They have acts of worship that make anything we do in this church look tame where the cult prostitutes get in a circle and they do this. All of them. The flag goes up, the big flag. They reserve the big flag for the central cult. And then the cult prostitutes get down on their knees. They put their hands above their head and they go up and down. They're up and down. They're what? They're worshiping their God. No man is a hypocrite in his pleasures. And when you walk in the assembly hall, everybody there is cheerful. Nobody's getting upset about anything because they have arrived at worship. Nobody's being bitter about being left out. And they get into the temple and they don't get there late. Trust me. They're not running. Their father did not yell at their mother in the car right before they got out to go into the assembly hall. Because this is pleasure. Uh, Jody, is Jody here? Jody, come here a second, would you please? Jody spent a couple of years in Manchester, England. 
And if you don't know this, the big four or three teams in football over in England are Manchester United, better known as Man U, and Arsenal, my son's favorite, and maybe Chelsea. That's probably the big three, all right? So he lived in the city that has two of the big five, probably, right now. Not usually, but right now. Jeff, is that right? Manchester City, you wouldn't put in the top five. All right, all right. Huh? Oh, yeah, Liverpool. How could Chantel would hate me? Okay. So tell them what it's like in Manchester when they're playing soccer. Well, on, the, on game day, in any one of those cities where those teams are, um, if you happen to be on the train, they're full of men about the size of, of Stephen's brother David. <laughs> and they are all singing at the top of their lungs throughout the train. And they arrive at the station, and the police are there um, on horses and in, on, on, on foot, sort of making uh, all the way to the stadium from the station a sort of alley for them to walk in to protect the normal people from the football fans. <laughs> because they are so excited, they might just do anything. And, and so, and then they get to this, uh, they're singing all of this process from the train, probably from the time they leave their house when they meet up with their buddies, get on the train and travel to the stadium, and, and then you can hear, I lived probably three-quarters of a mile, which is a, a long distance, from Man City Stadium before they tore it down. I don't know where they moved it to. But they, uh, you could hear the stadium from, from everywhere within that three-quarters of a mile square, and uh, it, it just this sort of sound all the time. You knew when somebody had done something good, which was, seems to be often. <laughs> and I'm not a soccer fan, but it was uh, astonishing, really. Thank you very much. Did you ever watch a soccer game, the entire game? There are men, grown men, who go, <laughs> And generally, the louder they do it, the better things are. And the decibel rate would be off the scale. Do you understand what I'm saying? No man is a hypocrite in his pleasures. Do you love the church? Do you order your day around the church? Or do you order your day around the family? Which has a higher priority, your family or the bride of Christ? For some of you, that's an easy question because you're not married yet and you don't have children. The church is the bride of Christ. The church is Jerusalem. Church is Jerusalem from heaven, our mother. That's what it says in Galatians. One day you will be in heaven, and there will be complete intimacy. It won't be anonymity. It won't be designed by Willow Creek to salvage your pride. Every secret will be known. So while you're here, are you tuning your voice? When you get to heaven, will you be on pitch? Will you spend your last months, as Annie Lane did, singing over and over and over and over again the words of faith in Jesus Christ and repentance for sin? She drove me crazy. She really did. I tried to go in the living room and work. And she'd be sitting there singing about the love of Jesus Christ. And she would take a tiny part of a tiny line of one hymn. And she had it on this loop. And the loop wasn't even six inches long. And it just went. And Annie Lane had set her affection on heaven, on Jesus Christ She was completely aware to her death of her sin. Her heart was on pilgrimage, and she loved the church. You say, well, why are you saying she loved the church? She was singing about Jesus. Well, did you ever notice Annie Lane? Was she missing Sundays? Huh? She was always here. And you know, when we went home, she was always complaining about how people didn't pay her enough attention. And about how she didn't like the music because she spent her life playing the piano at First Presbyterian in Flushing. And so she had much to be offended at in the way that our young men lead us. 
do you think I'm telling you the truth? No. She loved the church. She wasn't looking for things to be offended at, things to be overlooked in. She didn't get nasty and bitter because nobody asked her to play the piano. She loved the church. She loved Jesus. She was ready when they came to take her. In fact, she was ready for years prior. She, what would she say? She'd say, you can just, what about the clothes? She said one day when Mary Lou was dressing her, you can just bury me in this. Go ahead. And she loved us as she died. You could see it in her eyes. Some of you visited her. You saw it. She wasn't running around being bitter and accusing other people of how they'd failed her. This will be the year of Tim Wegner in this church. If you don't love the church, you've had every opportunity. And we're not going to ask you to love it anymore. Do you understand me? If you don't love it here, you won't love it anywhere. And so go on your pilgrimage, and it won't end well. But our hearts are on pilgrimage to heaven. And we know we're sinners. And we know that we need the blood of Christ, and so we eat it and we drink it. We come to the Lord's table. We, we have young men filled with testosterone who lead our music. And it's intentional. Do you understand me? We don't think men should like take second seat to women in worship. And so we let the men set the beat. Like King David. Okay? And if you've got a nice voice, that's nice. But do you love the church and is your voice given for the church? Do you use it to serve the church or does the church exist to serve your voice? All right, I'll stop. New Year's resolutions. American. Family values evangelical reformed. Biblical. I'm not against people that quit smoking. I've done it a thousand times. I'm not against losing weight. I'm not against booster seats. And I'm not against fluorescent lighting. Okay? But I'm in favor. I'm a gaga about the church. I love the church. Parents, and with this I'll end. Mary Lee and I were talking about what determines the future of families as we have watched them over the years. This was as we were coming back from Gettysburg. We talked and talked, and we talked about the priority that certain families have for the church. And, and, and then we came to the conclusion that what we needed to tell certain families that are having problems is that they need to be sure that their children are a part of the youth group, go to Sunday school, are in worship with them, that when the body of Christ is ministering, they're under the ministry. And then it occurred to us, that's not what we need to tell anybody. Because if the father doesn't love the church, and if it's, he's always grumpy about coming to church, it doesn't matter what the mother does with the children. The children hear from the father. And they won't love the church. And they'll come as long as you can force them to. But the minute they have their relief, go off to college usually, they'll stop. And so I don't want any of you to make sure your children are in youth group. I don't want you to make sure that your children are in Sunday school. And I don't want you to make sure that they are here in worship. I don't care. Because that's not going to do anything for your children. You know what I want for you? What I want for you is what I got from my mother and my father. What Mary Lee got from her mother and her father. You know what it was? Church of 500 to 1,000. We all grew up at the same church. My father came from 11 miles away, which was a long way in Wheaton. 
And do you know something? My father and mother, from the time the worship service was over until the time we got in the car to leave, they loved the church. And often we were the last family to leave. The preachers had gone half an hour before. And there were Joe and Mary Lou Bailey loving the church. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean they were ministering to the people with needs. They were rejoicing with those who rejoice. They were crying with those who cry. And when we'd go home to Mary Lee's house when I was dating her, you'd walk in the front door and you never knew what the melange was that Dad Taylor invited home that week. His wife didn't know until he walked in with the people, but she did know she should every single Sunday have extra food for whatever melange her father, her husband, would invite to come in that Sunday. In other words, there were missionaries, there were angular, obnoxious people with long hair like me. You know, there were young, there were old, there were singles, there were married. There were always people at their table. And and somehow, despite having ten children, they had room for more. If you want your family to be on the highway to heaven, if you want your children to honor God, if you want them to make good marriages, you don't need to make sure they're in Sunday school and in Lord's, in the youth group and at the Lord's worship services. What you need to do is you need to love the church because kids always pick up their, children, their, their parents' loves. Always. Children always love what their parents love. Always. So, here's the trick. The trick is, be biblical, love the church, go on pilgrimage to the church, say to your children Sunday morning and Saturday night, I was glad when they said unto me, we will go into the house of the Lord. And your children will be solid. Because they'll pick up your loves. They'll be covenant children. All right. So that's your New Year's resolution. Love the church. Do you love the church? (laughs) I wish I could take a picture right now and show you your faces. Vast, vast majority of you are smiling. Some of you are scowling. Seriously. And you know something? The ones that are scowling... You don't need to look around. You know who they are. Because they don't love the church. And it's obvious. And so I say to those of you who are smiling, this is a good love. It's a love you'll go to heaven and continue. Give yourself to it gaga. Give yourself to it particularly when it fails you. Don't let a root of bitterness grow up in you. Because a root of bitterness will corrupt many. And this year will be the church year for us. Let's pray.